Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. The first verse says, should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive. Unless the Lord does, does raise this house, in vain its builders strive. That's what we want. We want the Lord to build this house. Amen? Amen. Okay, here we, here we go. We're in the book of Luke. Luke. Chapter 21, uh, my goal is to finish the book of Luke by spring, by spring. And so we're going to finish the book of Luke. I've been preaching through the book of Luke for 27 years. And, um, and we're, we're going to finish soon. And uh, I'm excited about the, the weeks ahead. So we'll be back in Luke on Sunday mornings for the foreseeable future. It says, and we're just going to walk through it. So you're going to need your Bible, Okay. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. Open that up, and, and, and just I'm gonna, we're going to go through it little by little, and we're going to look at what God would say to us through the book of Luke. And while, verse 5, and while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said. Now, just be aware that when Jesus came into the city, the first place that Jesus went in his triumphal entry was the temple. And it was a revelation to God's people in that moment because God's people were saying, the king has come, the king has come. Well, they thought that the problem was Rome. Jesus came to show Israel that the problem was not a physical, political problem, but rather the problem was spiritual in nature. So he goes straight to the temple and the next few chapters after that triumphal entry are surrounding the temple. And he's speaking of the temple. People are talking about, wow, look at this place. Can you imagine walking into Solomon's temple in that day? Or I guess it would be the, the temple that uh, was rebuilt later on. But it stood in glory. It was beautiful. Gold and precious metals and stones, and they walk in, and can you just imagine their chins hit the floor, and they're looking around, and, and he hears them talking about how incredible it is, and verse 6 he says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is pointing forward, he's prophesying, he's speaking of the day in A.D. chapter 70, when the temple would be completely leveled, where it would be set ablaze and it would be um, leveled so that the Gentiles, the, 
those who have come in could steal the gold that was in between the rocks and in between the wood. He's pointing forward to this day, this day of destruction, this day of judgment. And they ask, they ask this question in verse 7. They asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, how many of you would like to know the time and the day and the signs of when Jesus is going to return? Amen, I would too. And uh, I don't know why, but it is a fascination of people in the church. When you ask people, what do you want to study? We want to study end time prophecy. It's just a fascination with people inside the church to study those things. What's funny about studying those things is as much as you can study, Jesus says no one knows the time or the place when I'm coming back. He says, I don't even know the time, but the Father does. Yet we want to study to know the time and the place, but we can never have an answer. And he says, they asked when, when, and, and what will be the sign? In verse 8, he said to them, See that you're not led astray. See that you're not led astray. He gives a for, a reason that you should not be led astray, that you should keep guard, that you should keep watch. Here's why you should see that you're not being led astray. For, he says, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Verse 9 and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. See that you're not led astray. See that you're not led astray. Now here's what I want you to see. They are asking Jesus a question, when? When and what will be the signs of this time? When and what will be the signs? And Jesus gives an answer, something along the lines of this. There will be a time, before I come, there will be a time of confusion and deceit. Confusion and deceit. You know, he didn't answer their question with a straight answer, did he? Wouldn't it be nice if he said, oh, I'm going to come back on this day? It would have been nice. And I just need you to know that when anybody... Uh, there, there's just been this whole speculation. There's like this, this business of speculation inside the church world, inside Christianity, that people are speculating when Jesus is going to come back. And I just, let me make a promise to you. I don't make promises like this very often, but I can almost guarantee it that if somebody says this is the time that Jesus is coming back, he ain't coming back that day. Instead, he says... Don't worry about what day it is. That's not for you to know. Acts chapter 1, they asked, the disciples asked the same question again. When are you coming to restore the kingdom? And he says, that's none of your business. What I have left you here for is to leave you with my power so that you might be my witnesses. Now, what he says here in this passage is there will be a time of confusion and deceit. Now, look at the, see that you are not led astray. Verse 8, see that you are not led astray for for, here's the reason why people will be led astray. For, many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. There will be two messages. The two messages that he kind of clarifies here. Some people are going to say that I am he. Other people are going to say the time is now. And he says, don't be led astray by them. And here's what's interesting to me. Jesus says, for many will come in my name, saying... 
Now, church family, listen to me. Listen to me real, real close. I want to lovingly warn you of who you listen to. Who you read. Because many will come in Jesus' name and not preach the message that Jesus brought. People are being led astray in these days because they're giving their ear to false prophets or false messiahs. They're preaching a message that Jesus would not endorse with his stamp of approval. Yet they're coming in Jesus' name. I just want you to know, just because somebody comes in Jesus' name does not mean that they're preaching God's word. Test the spirits, John says. Test them. Find out where the message comes from. Jesus says no one can confess Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit living in them. And no one can say that Jesus is accursed if he has the Holy Spirit. Test the spirits, John says. See that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, and the message will be, I am he. I am he, I'm the one. Now, Paul warns people about this a lot. He talks about if somebody comes in with a message thinking that he's a somebody, when he's really a nobody, beware. Do you, do you understand this time of confusion and this time of deceit? is happening around us. There is a confusion and a deceit going. Where does that come from? What is the source of that confusion? And that's deceit. Let me tell you something, church family. God is not the author of confusion. Rather, in John chapter 8, Jesus says that the devil is the father of lies. And in John, the first book of 1 John, Jesus says that he is a liar and he has been sinning from the beginning. Let me tell you, God is not the author of confusion. Rather, God is the author of clarity. He says, see that you're not led astray, for people will come with a message saying, I am He, and the time is at hand. Let me tell you, if the message is unambiguous or is ambiguous, if you don't know, if it's not clear, let me tell you, it's not from Him. How do I know that? Because if I flip over to verse 27, it says, And they will see the Son of Man coming in a, in a cloud with great power and great glory. If it ain't clear, it's not Him. Because there will be an undeniable event that happens on the day of Jesus' coming. You will not wonder if that is Jesus coming on the clouds with great power and glory. There will be no question in our minds as to who this one is coming. He will come in power and glory. And you will not wonder, is that Jesus? When he comes back, there will not be any confusion for the lost or the saved. Because what it says is there's coming a day when every knee will bow to Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There will be no confusion on the day when Jesus returns. So don't be led astray by somebody saying, I'm he. Or the time is at hand. In the book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul addresses the topic because there are some false teachers in, in Thessalonica saying 
hey, they're, they're preaching a message that the day of the Lord has already come. And Paul comes to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and, and he says this. Let me get there. My mouth is working faster than my hands. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3 starts off, Let no one deceive you in any way. So Paul addresses this idea that people will come saying the time's already come. Jesus has already returned. He says, don't be led astray. He says, do not, in verse 21, verse 8, Luke 21, verse 8, he says, do not go after them. Verse 9 says, and when you hear of wars, has anybody heard of wars lately? And then it says, tumults. That Greek word literally means confusion or riots or disorder. Familiar? He says, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. Now, let's just be honest. The past couple years, we've slightly been terrified. Fear has risen up inside of God's people. Fear has been a motivating factor for God's people in 2020 and 2021. And he says, hey, don't be terrified for these things. Verse 10 says, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. Pestilence, fancy for diseases. Familiar? Don't be terrified. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, I want to go back up to the verse 9 where it says, And when you hear of wars and, and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. There will be a time of confusion. There will be a time of deceit. And, and it's almost like Jesus is saying to you and to me, don't go after them. Don't be terrified by them. Don't go after those false teachers. Why? Because you will get distracted from the very work that I've sent you here, sent you here to be a part of. Now, church family, I don't know if you've noticed yourself like I have noticed myself over the past couple years getting distracted. I don't know if you remember, but before Jesus left the earth, he gave us two commandments and a commission. Two commandments are to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. He left us with two commandments and a commission. And let me tell you, it's been easy these past couple years to get distracted, hasn't it? that I found it easy in my heart to get distracted away from the main things. You might have heard the story of Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, and he, he said to his team, let's get back to the basics. 
Let's get back to the basics. See, if you go after them or if you're terrified, neither one of those things will keep you focused on loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, loving your neighbor, or being about the Great Commission. Don't get distracted in days of questioning and confusion and riot and tumult and disorder. Don't be distracted. Have you gotten distracted? Has life for you become political? Has it have your priorities gotten out of order? Have you neglected the great commandments or the great commission church family let me let me speak to us as a, a body it's easy to get distracted let me tell you 2020 and 2021 were hard years to know how to navigate as a pastor do you, do you know that every decision that was made, there was a group of people that were happy and a group of people that were unhappy? It was, it was tough. And I can't tell you how many times it was so easy to focus on the next decision that needs to be made rather than the great commission that I needed to be about. We, we were just trying to survive, it felt like. There was a time of confusion, deceit, and distraction. But church family, can I just be honest? God has given us another opportunity in 2022 to be more fruitful than we were last year. God has given us an opportunity to be about His commandments, His two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, and His great commission. And I want 2022 for you and for me that individually and corporately we might not be distracted, but our minds would be set on the main things. I love it what it says when it says that Jesus set His face to Jerusalem. He was a man on a mission. There was nothing that could get in the way of Jesus going to the cross, to an empty tomb, or to a tomb, and then raising from the dead. There was nothing that could have stopped him. I want us, church family, to be a church that are like Jesus. That there's nothing that can stop us, or thwart us, or distract us from the great commandments and the great commission. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Do you know that when we set our minds and our bodies and our obedience about the great commandments and the great commission, Jesus promises that something unpleasant will happen? Let me read it. Verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. 
delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, in your, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, verse 16, you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and, and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. Verse 17, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. When God's people set about to do God's great commission, there is a cost to that. This is what it says. There will be a time of division. A time of division. A time of increased persecution. I quoted this morning in our Sunday school class in, in, in one of the Timothys, um, chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. And in the times, they're asking, when is it going to happen? What's it going to be like? He says, well, there'll be a time of confusion and deceit, but there'll also be a time of increased persecution and division. He says, verse 12, They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you up to synagogues and, and put you in prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Verse 16 says, you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. There is going to be a time of increased persecution and division. Now, how many of you, when I say that, you're going, yeehaw, let's get into it, right? None of us are looking at that scripture going, yes, can't wait for that to happen. But I want you to understand today that this is not a bad thing. Now, let's, let's talk real. In America, specifically in the South of the American South, we call it the Bible Belt, in the Bible Belt, when you moved into a town and you wanted to open a business or you wanted to run for politics or, or, or you wanted to meet people, where was the first place that you went? Church. Church. And it was pretty easy back in the day, whatever that day was, to fit in by going to the church because in the church there were good moral people and in, inside the church... We set about our minds to do something together. And, and in the church, in the South, it was pretty easy to be a good moral person and blend into the church. But what's happening in the day and time that we live is something like a pruning. Something like a division. Jesus tells a parable about the wheat and the tares being planted in the same field... And his field workers come in and say, well, should we cut out the tares, the, the weeds, and leave the wheat? He says, no, if you go and cut out the wheat or the weeds, you're going to cut up some of the wheat. He said, let them both grow together, and then at the time of judgment, I'll separate them. Now, hear me. 
What's happening in our world today is there is becoming a division between the wheat and the weeds inside the church. Have you noticed that all around the world, if you study anywhere around the world, the church, anywhere around the world, the church is growing in huge numbers everywhere around the world, specifically in the places where persecution is greatest. But here in the United States of America, what's happening to the church? Now, I want to say to you, I don't know that that is necessarily a bad thing. You remember what Jesus says, and well, you'll hear it this coming Wednesday night, to the church in Laodicea, he says, Oh, that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, for a long time, there have been those in our world, in our nation, who have been saved, and there have been those who are lost. And then there has been a squishy middle. For a long time, it was easy to exist as a squishy middle inside the church, inside the culture. But that's not the case anymore. The time is coming, and I believe is now here, where you're going to see the division grow between those who are truly saved. They have been redeemed of the Lord. Those that, as we sang, Christ is holding on to in His mighty hand, and those who are lost. And it's going to be harder to exist in the squishy middle. And so what we're seeing in the church a lot of times is the squishy middle walk away. They have a decision to face. That Christ is either Savior and Lord, or He is nothing. But I can't ride the fence any longer. Are you with me, church? Did you see what it said in the Scripture? They said, you'll be handed over. And it's not just going to be handed over by officials. You're going to be handed over by your friends, by your parents, by your relatives, by your brothers and your sisters. You're going to be handed over by those closest to you. We live in one of the most terrifyingly exciting times in church history. We live in a time more like the first century than the 19th century or the 20th century. We live in a time where the church can rise up and shine brightly in the middle of a dark generation. We live in a time where God could do something through His church that would just blow the world away. But it's not going to happen through the squishy middle. It's going to happen when those who are truly redeemed stand up and shine brightly in a dark world. The Great Commission in the Bible, I want you to understand that the Great Commission always came about on the heels of persecution. You say, how does that happen? Well, in Acts chapter 2, they're in hiding and the Holy Spirit comes. They come out of hiding to proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, they go into the temple. They do a miracle and many people trust in Jesus. Yet the officials come and the officials come and they hold them uh, uh, and charge them and accuse them of all of these things. 
And then the gospel keeps spreading. In Acts chapter 8, a persecution, a fierce persecution comes upon the church that they are dispersed. The diaspora of believers happens and they flee to all of the surrounding cities and towns and nations around Israel. What does God do on the heels of persecution? He spreads the gospel. Listen to me, church family. We live in an exciting time. We live in a time where we get to, uh, the opportunity to be a part of God doing something huge. God could do a Pentecost kind of saving in our time. Amen? Don't you want to see Him? How would it look if this sanctuary were filled with people falling at the altar, begging God for forgiveness and trusting Christ. Could he do it? Of course he could. But he says, listen to me, this is what he says. This is what Jesus says. When, when you're drugged before them, they're persecuted, they deliver you to synagogues and prisons. In verse 13 he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. That's not the opportunity that I wanted, Lord. But this is the opportunity that he, he said will come. On the heels of persecution. This will be your opportunity. When the squishy middle's gone and it's hard to be a Christian, the true church will have a choice. This is our opportunity. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Jesus says? This will be your opportunity. This isn't your burden to bear. This isn't the cross that you're going to carry. No, this is your opportunity to bear witness about the goodness of God. About the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. About how God is sovereign over all of these things that we call difficulties. We have an opportunity before us. But I think because we're distracted... We're missing an opportunity to bear witness. Verse 14, he says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. I pray that every time I stand to speak, Lord, don't let me speak my own words, but let me speak what you would have me say. Just don't meditate on it. Don't, don't sit and wonder, what am I going to say when that day happens? No, you live for Christ, and when that day happens, God will provide for you the words that you need for the moment, the opportunity that He gives. He will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. They can withstand and contradict our opinions, our politics. They can withstand and contradict our thoughts, but they cannot withstand and contradict the Holy Spirit speaking through an empty vessel. Verse 16, you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. The, the division will come close. Verse 17, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. 
Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, if they hate you, don't worry, they hated me first. So if they hate you, guess what? You're in good company. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He just said some of you would be put to death. In John chapter 16, uh, it, it even says that they will put you to death and they'll think that it's a service to the God that they serve. How, is, how in the world is it that, that Christians will be put to death, yet not a hair of their head will be perished? Will, will perish. Jesus is pointing to a greater reality than death. He's pointing to the resurrection. He's pointing to the fact that for the believer, death can't hurt you. Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill the body only. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. He says to you and to me that even if your life's blood is spilt and you breathe your last breath on earth, don't worry because your last breath on earth will be your first breath in glory. He points to the fact that the resurrection is more real than this life ever will be. Verse 19, by your endurance you'll gain your lives. Endurance. By your endurance you'll gain your life. Now, if we're talking about endurance, Baptists aren't great at endurance. I mean, look around. We're not a bunch of marathon runners, are we? Endurance. Matthew's gospel says it this way. The one who endures to the end will be saved. I want to encourage you that it's not a sprint that we're running with the Lord. It is a long race. It's not about how you start. It is about how you finish. I don't believe that the Bible has a category like we do for backslidden Christians. That might be hard. Well, they were a Christian, but now they're just backslidden. Maybe they weren't a Christian. Jesus tells a parable about four different kinds of soil who all received the same seed by the same planter. And the first soil was a path, a stony path. And the seed was sown on the path and birds came in and swooped down and took them away. The second seed was uh, rocky soil and it the seed began to sprout, but it didn't have any depth for root, and so it withered away. The third soil was a soil, but it had thorns growing up, and the, the seed began to grow, and the plant sprouted and began to shoot up, but the thorns wrapped around it and choked it out until it died. And then the fourth seed is the seed that was sown in good soil, and that seed grew up. And it bore fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. My question to you is, are the first three the kind of seed that we ought to be in Christ with no fruit to show? From my perspective, there's only one of those seeds that is saved. A healthy tree bears fruit. Jesus even says it, you know a tree by its fruit. We often will call somebody saved. 
maybe too quickly. He says, by your endurance, you'll gain your lives. Jesus, well, the author of Hebrews gives us a picture of this. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, I think we've got it up on the screen. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, in the, in the context of the book of Hebrews, that is Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing, looking, our, looking to Jesus or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If we want to run uh, this race with endurance, if we want to make it through these days, well, there are some lessons for us here. If we, we need to look to Jesus, we need to get rid of sin, we need to declutter and simplify our lives to let every weight, get rid of every weight that would so easily entangle you or hinder you. We need to get rid of all of these things. We need to remember that sufferings are temporary, but eternity is forever. And we need to remember that there is a reward for those who endure to the end. Two times in the book of Revelation, it says this phrase, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Church family, 2022, we have an amazing opportunity before us. That we might keep our eyes fixed on the great commandments and the great commission, that we might be laser-like in focus, that we might not get derailed again, but that we might press forward to seek to introduce people to Jesus. Our mission statement is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus by declaring the gospel, discipling the believer, and deploying the church. We have an opportunity this year to be about that vision and that mission that God has so given to His church that we might bear fruit for eternity. And My prayer is that you would join that. I'm going to pray for us. And maybe you find yourself in the squishy middle today. Maybe it's time to get out of the middle. Stop riding the fence. Stop being lukewarm. It might be your day to trust Jesus. And if you want to recommit your life to being about God's great commission... Here we are. But let's respond to the Lord. Would you stand with me? And let's respond as we sing in just a moment. Would you pray? Would you pray with me, Lord? I, I hope. Lord, I feel like I've done everything that I could today to open up your word. And to 
declare what I see inside it. Father, but what I can't do is I can't see inside of every person's heart. Father, some of us, it's time for us to take a step of faith. Whether we're in the squishy middle or distracted by the things of life. Or we've just neglected, forsaken your great commandments and your great commission. Father, but today, would you lead us closer to Jesus? Would you call your church to step forward into the Great Commission because we want to see people turn to Christ and we want to we don't want to miss the opportunity that you're giving to us to declare to bear witness of you so Lord please help us in this time convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment and lead them to Christ in Jesus' name, Amen As